Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series titled The Tools to 10 Million, Michael Sutton of Kind Home Painting Company will be discussing professional tools to enable growth to $10 million. It is a five-part series. In episode one, Michael discussed the professionals who supported his growth and how you can find your own support network. In episode two, this episode, Michael will cover the books that have empowered his growth to date. In episode three, Michael will deep dive into the key employees he could not do without. In episode four, Michael will lay out the numbers that make his business thrive. And in episode five, the final episode, Michael will break down the real challenges of entrepreneurship and how to overcome those. If you want to ask Michael questions related to anything in this podcast series, you can do so in our exclusive Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook. Just search for Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. Again, that URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. There you can ask Mike questions directly by tagging him with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular painting company. Michael, welcome back, man. Welcome, Brandon. How are you? Doing well, brother. Doing well. Always enjoy filming with you. We uh, we always end up chatting it up for 20 plus minutes before we start. Warms us up, but, but I enjoy it, man. I allocate extra time for our podcast recordings. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, uh, I've always been a little long-winded. So. Well, no, I, I, uh, I like talking with you, Mike. So books last last episode you you walked us through some some pretty crazy stuff i i told you it had me thinking my wheels turned and spent the weekend kind of thinking about my personal network and where i could potentially improve uh now we're we're diving into books that really empowered you in business and, and helped you grow the company that you have yeah yeah thank you uh i'm excited to talk about it and um you know Reading and, and listening to books has been a, a really powerful thing for my professional career over the last 15 years. Um, hands down, it's been the largest impact that, you know, I can share with anyone um, if you put in the time and yeah. it can bring me as much value as it can you or, or anyone else. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to, to share and chat about them. And what I'm extremely excited about is I thought you were going to come into this episode and like, okay, here's... 20 books, you know, we get, we got the whole arsenal of, of everything from, you know, you could want in business and marketing operations, this, that we're going to cover. You came in only with a handful. So we're only going to be talking about four or five books. We're going to be talking about this for probably close to an hour. And you're going to, you're going to kind of dive deep into this. That's what I like. Hopefully. Uh, and, and if we need to talk about 20, because we run out of things to say, I've got a few more. We'll just throw, throw them all out there. We'll just totally totally scrap the initial idea and we'll just data dump. <laughs> no. Um, and, and I think even that right there is a representation of how a lot of people use or misuse literature. Um, probably read 30 to 50 books a year uh, or listen to, but you can't apply all those books. And and how many times do you read a book and you go, well, that was neat. Lots of good information. You set it down and you never think about it again. Yeah. 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 There's something, there is something to that. So there is, it's still kind of can unlock your brain, you know, get the creativity, but there's also maybe 
limited benefit if you do that just all the time, but you never super implement anything. Absolutely. Um, and, and I fight that with salespeople on my team, with production people on my team, as I ask and encourage people to read content. They say, oh, I already know that. I've already heard that. No, it's not about just hearing it once or it's not that you are. Sometimes you can already know something and still get benefit from re-listening or re-reading because it's about bringing it to the front of mind. It's about exercising the thought process that goes into it. It's about like making that recall happen quicker when you need that information. Um, But yes, (laughs) uh, it is different than applying every word and going back to it again and again. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for trends of highly successful people. Right. And I try to personally model myself after that when I can, because there are patterns you can see. And and one of the patterns I've identified with top performers, with successful entrepreneurs is they, they like to learn. They have a hunger for learning and for self growth. And they almost all without fail uh, actively like to read that does audiobooks counts. Right. But what, what's important is they absorb the content and they're trying to improve people listening to this. Well, mm-hmm. they, they're absorbing content. They are that kind of, uh, they're already that kind of business owner. Absolutely. So let's get into it, man. What, what's book number one? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to completely go off track already. Um, right, Mike, we're, the, the plan, the plan's already off track. Um, so, you know, uh, I'll share the very first book that made like a professional impact. Uh, and it's not the book that we were talking about, but it was uh, when I first started selling paint jobs before I owned my own company years before, and I only had to focus on sales. Uh, I was introduced to a book by Brian Tracy called the psychology of sales. Yep. And I listened to that book on repeat. I, somebody actually gave me the CD, uh, one CD of it. Uh, it wasn't the full collection, but for whatever reason, he had one burned copy of it that he gave to me. Uh, You're like an expert in two chapters. <laughs> yeah, it, it was literally a partial book. And I listened to that thing on repeat for four or five months. Almost every single time I got into the car. And he talks about Automobile University. And it started kind of this progression of sales training that I put myself through. That went through all the old greats, Brian Tracy, Zig Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, just these like classic sales gurus that talk about the impact of reading. And every one of them said, if you want to be in the top 5% of salespeople, if you want to be one of the best with your company, listen to books every time you get in your car. And I said, well, okay, I guess there's got to be something to this. If every one of these salespeople that I listened to said the same thing. So I made a commitment to turn my radio off and I only listened to books when I got in my car for six years. Um, wow. And it started with Brian Tracy's Psychology of Sales. Uh, today, it's the thing I miss the most about being in the field. Uh, and I don't get, I don't personally spend my days doing estimates anymore. So I'm not driving between appointments. I don't manage paint projects. I'm not doing much quality control. So very rarely do I have reasons to go out and and be in the field and meet with clients. And that's what I feel like I've lost the most of is the time spent listening and and the time growing through through books and podcasts. That's Um, interesting. But go ahead. Oh, no. I I mean, I was just commenting that, that, yeah, that otherwise downtime. And I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are actually in a similar situation where they're, they're driving or out of, you know, some people painting, you know, and listening to it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's something very important and empowering about utilizing otherwise considered downtime or, or kind of wasted time. Uh, and now you have this situation where you have to, you have to work to intentionally carve out the time because it's not already built into your schedule. It's 10 times harder. Yeah. Find two hours in a day when your entire day was meetings and appointments and back-to-back conversations. Because there's something else you could you could always be doing. And it's hard to say, oh, no, this is my two-hour. But it, it almost feels wrong. It almost feels unproductive, even though it's actually super. It's like, oh, what do you mean? You're not going to work from 10 to 12. You know, we're supposed yeah. to have this meeting. Oh, no, I'm, you're just going to read from 10 to 12? <laughs> yeah, this is my reading time. <laughs> uh, right? Do not disturb. 
do not uh, disturb. Yeah. Got a, no. a scotch and, and you're in your leather armchair. Yeah, I wish. Um, <laughs> you know, and I share that because uh, the impact that I think the, you know, the books make, and I think I said this last time on the podcast was you're the same person tomorrow as you were today, minus the things you ate, the conversations you had and the books you've read. Um, and if you're not consuming something positive, you're not going to grow. Um, but the first one we had discussed, uh, and probably hands down the largest impact on our business up to this point was a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And I've heard a lot of people starting to talk about it and, and apply it. And I will be the first to say that it has been, has, uh, very much become our business Bible. And, um, we started, uh, self-implementing Traction at the end of 2019, we were wrapping up our second year. And, uh, you know, you had asked me, how did those books, like, how did you find certain ones of these? And this was a book that came through uh, my board. Somebody on my board had mentioned it. Somebody on Tommy Mello's podcast had mentioned it. Someone, uh, my CFO had mentioned it. And I said, what are all these people mentioning a book? I've got to, I've got to just like, listen. And um, it was a book that I listened to, finished it, immediately hit play again, listened to it a second time and said, uh, I think I'm going to need the paper copy. I've got to mark this thing up. Yeah. Uh, bought it, read it. And then I said, okay, I think we're going to do it. Um, and for a company without a leadership team at that time, basically I was managing... 17 or 18 people. That sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and the foundation of what EOS and Traction says is about letting go of the vine and, and giving uh, the ability to other people to step into leadership and management. And it really defines how do you build the system of management within a company. And uh, I kind of read it, selected the people who I thought would be uh, who would benefit from it, who could help me uh, and step into those leadership positions, asked all of them to read the book. And as they completed them, uh, I would ask them to join the leadership team. And that's cool. So people basically got kind of promoted. You built a leadership team from internal team members based on this book. Yes. That's definitely a growth in the company. Um, and it's our, every person on our, our company who has, uh, stepped into a leadership role, all started by reading the book. Um, our sales manager, our marketing director, uh, our production manager, the lady who runs our call center, and my wife, who would be kind of operations manager, director of everything. Uh, make sure it all is working. Yes. Uh, and um, honestly, EOS has been a, a difficult thing to do. Um, are you familiar with it? I am. And I know that there's self, there's self implementation. We're actually working on it ourselves at painter marketing pros. I've read the book, I think three times now there's the self implementation, or you can actually hire an implementer, right. To come in and do this yeah. for you. Why'd you guys select to, to implement it yourselves? Um, probably two reasons, uh, probably arrogance and probably like brokenness. You always seem so arrogant. Like that is the one, that's the one thing that you <laughs> Except not. No. Um, financially, uh, when you're a small company and you're trying to bootstrap, it's expensive. $10,000, dollars $20, is a lot. Yeah. And when you have a playbook right in front of you. Yeah. It, and, and that's what, you know, EOS does uh, in traction so well is that they give you the system. Um, so we still have weekly leadership team meetings. And in the book, it talks about identify, discuss, solve, and that at every leadership meeting, you should be bringing together, or you should be bringing to the table issues. And the objective is to solve those issues within a one-hour meeting on a weekly basis. And the topic of our last one, the issue for our last leadership meeting was solving issues. That's a it sounds redundant, but that's actually a big problem in a lot of companies. What's the process for solving our problems? 
Yeah. And, and this is three and a half years into doing it. And people started saying, well, how do we want to do our IDS? How should we bring issues? And I said, um, guys, before everyone goes and makes recommendations on how we should submit our issues, will people reread pages 135 to 147 that tell you exactly how to do this? Um, we model each of our quarterly meetings off of it. And uh, this was uh, something really powerful for my team just two weeks ago as we did our first quarterly. It says uh, human beings operate on 90-day cycles and you can set a clear path and a goal. And if you wait 90 days, you're going to be off track, almost guaranteed. Wow. Momentum starts to die down after 90 days. And that's why you do quarterly meetings to bring people back on track, to reset your focus, to re-energize and rejuvenate. And that's what that 90-day cycle's for. Well, it's similar to what you and I were talking about, you know, just before we got started was every 30 days, you take a, a reset. Yep. People have to have those resets, those refocuses. And it's incredible that he's, Gino has given you that playbook for how frequently you have to reset. How do you do it as a team? How do you get your leadership team to be excited again and back into it after 90 days of getting your butt kicked? Yeah. Yeah. If you're growing, you usually are getting your butt kicked. So what Michael was referring to there, I have a, a mandated refresh once a month. I'm in the, the Army National Guard. So I get yanked by the collar, pulled out of my life and uh, get to do some nice introspection for a little while monthly. It's difficult, but it also is incredibly helpful. So these refreshes, they do, they're, they're valuable, man. And I know you, you kind of self-implement some of this, right? These refreshes, what do you do? In my personal life? Yeah. Oh, man. I, can get, I can get you signed up in the guard, man. You can go uh, do this together. They wouldn't want me. <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm too old and broken. Oh, okay. Uh, I was hobbling in today, uh, just from walking through the garage. Well, that, that Christmas light, man, I could have, I could have taken down the most fit of athletes. You know that. It doesn't take much. Don't beat yourself up over that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of like premeditated resets in there other than what this industry typically does for, for painters. Um, for a lot of people, there's a seasonality to painting. Yeah. Which automatically gives you a time to kind of clean house once a year and to slow down and, and focus on getting everything back together the way it should be. Um, for us in Colorado, we have slower winters. So pretty much December, January is going to be a highly reduced workload as far as work or as far as painting goes, which means you can kind of focus on the other components of business, the budgets, the the plans, the projections, the, you know, the marketing strategies. Um, and there's every year uh, we give time for our employees to, to reset, go on your trip, take a month off. Here's 30 days off. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, we look forward to that reset all fall and we kind of celebrate it all spring. And uh, that reset that we give everyone in the companies starts coming to front of mind about July, August. People start saying, man, I can't wait for my 30 days off. I'm really excited. <laughs> so that's one of the things that we've built into our business. So is, does everyone get 30 days off or how does that work? Mm, a minimum of two weeks for everyone. Uh, a lot of people are kind of in that 30 day period. And you guys just kind of, I mean, obviously the company hasn't shut down for 30 days. So you guys just space out, I guess, who takes what time. Yeah. You know, yeah, if you have six project managers and I only need two of them. Yeah. We can give some people a little bit extra time. And then sure. as they're back, give a little bit of time for someone else. So that's so great because that's another trend that I've seen among, amongst, you know, the most successful people is they find what 
would typically be considered bad or a challenge and they make it work to their advantage. And that's something I've heard from a, a select few painting company owners that, Hey, winter, you know, the slow season is really great because it lets us do X, Y, or Z. The common refrain is oh, seasonality. And obviously, yeah, you, you, it's scary, right? It's scary. Like a reduction in business isn't usually a good thing, but you're like, Oh, we try can't keep our painters busy. We're worried. Um, that this is definitely not to, to reduce the importance of that. But I think it's really great that you find the opportunity there and that people are almost looking forward to, okay, there's not going to be quite as much work because we're in Colorado and the exterior season got to shut down. Um, but it gives us such a cool opportunity to refresh personally. And then also what's broken in the business? What didn't really work that well this year? What do we need to go in and fix? So prior to ramping up in the spring, we're ready to go. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, one of the things I've struggled with is that I've created the time and space for people within the team. For me, it's a little stressful. Uh, it tends to be one of the... All the problems are your problems, brother. <laughs> oh, and, and making sure that I frame that correctly, because it is supposed to be a time of rejuvenation for people on the team. And even if, you know, I'm concerned that cash flow or sure. now I have to do taxes or, you know, whatever falls on my plate to make sure that you're giving space for other people to celebrate and win in there even if it is a little bit more difficult in January than it is July. Yeah. yeah business so, ownership is, is not without its burdens. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So you, you serving traction um, started, you know, you decided to self-implement EOS because uh, yeah. you, you felt capable of doing it. And financially it's a lot to hire an implementer to come in. Uh, one of the first things it seems that you did, one of the first major things is you found internal team members and you essentially gave them the opportunity to rise to the occasion and become leaders within your company. Uh, what are some of the other big changes that that you uh, that you made, and maybe kind of the order in what you made them through that book? Yeah, um, one of the things it talks about is a ten-year vision, and working on a ten-year cycle and a three-year cycle when it comes to goal setting has been very powerful. Us, uh, excuse me, very powerful for us. And it's really realizing how far out and how big what you're trying to do is. Um, and I would say when I first started the business, it was difficult to put a 10-year goal in place. Seems like a, an eternity when you're starting. Uh, feels like a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, and now it's one of the most exciting moments every year is when we look at our 10-year vision and say, are we, are we sticking with it? Uh, are we still on track for it? Does it need to be reset? And, and in traction, it doesn't say to reset your 10 year every 10 years, which is unique. Um, so we've had the same 10 year goal for, for several years now, three years. Um, before you reset it uh, and you make sure that that 10 year goal is still relevant. And ours is to get back a million dollars in economic resources to developing kind homes. Uh, I would say a kind home is a well-maintained, safe place that is abuse and addiction-free where you can raise a, a healthy family. And we made a commitment on day one to give 10% of our profits back through what we called the Kind Home Community Outreach Program. And that being our 10-year goal, what's the impact that you can make locally within a community as you grow and you give back to the community, that's been the most uh, rewarding and exciting thing that we've put into place from traction yeah, as well as management. <laughs> what a goal. So you're, and I know you, you and I kind of like to geek out on the numbers. We're both, both very data analytics driven. And so you, if you're saying, okay, you want to give a million dollars per year to this, obviously that, that is a big number right? To a cause that can make a big, big difference uh, in people's lives, in your community. Then you, because you know, okay, we're going to give 10% of our profits. You can essentially back into how big this company needs to be, right? How much revenue you need to be doing, how many team members you have. And essentially you can, you can chart a business course for what is really a value driven um, initiative. Yeah. Hundred percent. And at one point, we had a ten-year goal that was a a big revenue number. Mm. 
And it was uh, during an annual retreat where we realized like, what's the point of having a big number for us? Yeah. What's it for us? Who cares? Like uh, it's, if you're going to set a big goal, set it around, like, what's the impact? What's that mean for the other people? What's it mean for the community uh, for you to reach a certain size? Yeah. And that's going to probably be much more motivating for the team, you know, as opposed to, Hey, if we, if we make a bunch of money, then, you know, Michael can make more money. And, and then that's our goal is achieved. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, it's to put a 10 year goal on a wall so that anytime somebody walks into it, they see a 10 year goal and where the company's going. Uh, It didn't feel as good when it was just a big revenue number. You switch it to what you've given back and suddenly the team got excited about it. It's something that people get excited about when we're interviewing and hiring. Um, it's something that the the meet, uh, the leadership team and the management team feels connected to. Um, and truly, I think the 10-year the vision was one of the most powerful things out of traction. But it goes on and on as far as the value um, I couldn't imagine starting over or trying to do this again without somebody introducing that book to me. Uh, and I read it several times every year. So if you're listening and you have not read Traction or listened to the audio book, check it out. Right? It is, yeah, it's, it's one of the, and I'm always almost a little resistant when people talk about the same thing over and over again, because I think sometimes in in industries, you know, the painting industry, a lot of, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are involved in the PCA. Um, there can be sort of, sort of fads almost, right? Like everyone gets on a certain bandwagon. I see it in our, our marketing groups that we're a part of, you know, the, the kind of the shiny object, you know, oh, it's cool to, to do this, implement this. So we're all going to do it and then post on social media about how we do it. Um, but traction is, <laughs> I guess it could be considered a little bit, you know, of a thing, you know, right? People want to show that they're doing it, but it's, it's, there's a reason. There's a reason that people are doing it. And, and the reason yeah. the reason we're implementing it at Painter Marketing Pros, uh, it's not something we publicize or, or go try to be cool about. It's because it actually works. It's actually really, really solid. So if, you, if you've seen it and you've been kind of wondering, um, check it out. Yeah. Try it. Um, yeah. I want to, you have anything else to add with traction right now? No. I know, I know you had given me, um, you had given me four or five books. Yeah. And you, what you already messed up, Michael, because you started with another one, but you know, we'll, save it. we'll save that until after the recording. We can talk about that. But uh, the, the book two you had given me, I want to skip it for right now because yeah. I want to actually go to book three because, because based on this goal that you were talking about and kind of like how you've established this company, let's, let's go into the, you know, some of the Simon Sinek stuff that you were talking about. Yeah. Um, Simon Sinek, start with why. Um it is, it's a powerful book, uh, but it also comes in bite-sized chunks. And he has a, a pod or a TED talk that I think has been viewed close to 30 million times. Uh, it's 15 minutes long. Uh, I encourage all of our employees to watch it. I encourage people as we're interviewing to watch it. And it comes down to people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Um and it's refocusing the intention of business from what you provide to why you provide it. For us, um, our goal is to make a positive impact within our community. It's the kind home community outreach program. It's the 10 houses that we painted for free last year. Uh, I exaggerate, it was seven. Uh, seven houses that we did for families in need uh, that were nominated by our own clients who said, I can't afford, they can't afford to paint a house, but they need it. Yeah. Um, it's the ability to give back to uh, our team. You know, one of the things we do is uh, we do a toy drive every year. And the first thing we do is invite all of our painters in to grab toys for their families and their extended families. Um, before we take toys to the donation place. Um, and, you know, that's something last year we gave away uh, about 500 toys. That's a lot of toys. I had no idea how much space 500 toys was. 
I can, I can imagine that's a lot, like a huge warehouse of toys. Well, it took two offices. Man, just stacking. Really? Well, some toys can, you know, some toys are are sizable, man. Some are uh, small, but some are actually pretty big. And you know, who knew that Walmart doesn't like for you to come in and buy like three hundred toys at once? Did was that kind of an awkward experience? Never done that. No, it's incredible. Uh, we had you know anyone from the team who could do it go and do it but i'll tell you the cashiers were not happy oh yeah no hey this lane's gonna be blocked for probably next 30 minutes <laughs> it's a, you're a cashier i mean what's the difference between us or somebody else uh, yeah. there's something something mental about spending that long on one person versus just a ton of people i don't know yeah um that being said um he talks about identifying a why within uh each of your each of ourselves so each person uh, has their own why. And, you know, I've read the book for 10 years that I've referenced it, listened to the TED Talk over and over again, told hundreds of people about Start With Why. And then uh, I started questioning, do I even know what my own why is? Why did I start this company? Why am I doing what I'm doing today? Uh, running a business is not necessarily easy. Um, oftentimes you end up working more hours than you could imagine. Oftentimes there's less financial reward than you expect. Um, it's not the easy road for sure. It is not the easy road. Uh, you might think it would be. And I'm starting to ask myself, why, why am I doing this? What, what's the, is this really what I should be doing or what I wanted to do? Or does this even align with what? I was put on this earth for, and uh, I read Find Your Why, and he writes, just like traction, a step-by-step -step process to follow to identify your why. And uh, after I read the book in something like May of last year, uh, the Find Your Why, I said, I'm going to do this. And the first thing it says is you need to have a, a facilitator who's going to help you find your why. And uh it needs to be somebody who will spend a couple of days with you, who will listen to you talk for a couple of days, not have a ton to say, but have a lot of questions to ask. Um, and Simon lays out this path of going through your life and, and identifying moments within your life that you can recall very well. Memories that you can see, memories that you can hear from your childhood, from your teenage years, from at any point in your life. Uh, and you're supposed to share those memories with someone. But that person can't judge you. They can't have heard all these stories before. Um, and they have to be genuinely curious with them. And you're supposed to go away to a, a place where there's no distraction and you can just openly talk through things that you've experienced within your life. And once you've put all these stories onto paper, he says, you're going to identify the golden thread that, that ties all of these things together. And that thread, the commonality between those stories that you bring up and how you discuss them is where you'll find your why. The facilitator identifies that? They help you discuss you. commonalities. Are they, are they like, you know, an EOS, are they, they like a certified facilitator or what is this? You can hire Simon's team to do that. Okay. Or he gives you a book that tells you exactly how. Yet again, I find your why. Find your why. Okay. And his main book is called Start With Why. That's the business book that everyone references. That's the TED Talk. And then he wrote a secondary book called Find Your Why to tell you how to actually identify what your why is. Um, so parts of the roadmap to actually achieving the start with why. Yes, absolutely. And I uh, I identified somebody on my team. He was a younger gentleman, very close friend of mine uh, to be my facilitator. I went to Seattle for three days and I took two days to work through exactly his, his outline for how to do it. And it was one of the most powerful weekends that I've had on my own ever.
Now you, when you were doing this, you were talking about childhood experiences. I, I assume, you know, any kind of like trauma or life-changing things may have come up. I mean, this, this sounds heavy, man. You know, a lot of people have a hard time opening up even to, um, you know, professionals, right? Like therapists, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, that kind of stuff. How do you, if you're listening to this, you're like, well, that sounds really powerful. There's nobody I'm going to tell this stuff to. There's not a chance I'm going to go. How, what would you recommend in that case? To be patient and to take your time. Uh, like I said, I, I probably first read it in May, maybe April. And I didn't actually identify a facilitator until July, June. I talked to a couple people about it. Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this weird thing. Would you maybe consider doing this with me? Uh, and make sure that you're comfortable with it. Um, and so many things in life, you get out of it what you put into it. Take the time and do the work ahead of time so that it's powerful and beneficial. And you're supposed to write down 15 stories or something from your, your early years that you can recall that you're going to share. And I think we ended up doing 30 or 40. But I had 15 written down. And a good facilitator, they ask a story and then they say, well, how did it feel when you were going through that? How did it feel? when you were, you know, delivering a sermon at your grandfather's um, funeral. My grandfather was a pastor and uh, I did, you know, his funeral when I was 21. And it was a powerful thing for me to stand at his church in front of his congregation. Wow. Um, you know, but it's the feelings that you had while you were doing it. Feelings after. Um, it is, I, it was uh, emotionally challenging, but, and it's also, you don't just have to focus on trauma. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have you, to be a super negative, painful thing. Yeah. You know, moving or changing schools or meeting a person or something that happened with your family, a vacation that you went on and you start to see, wow, these are the pieces that I remember with it. And it's in those memories that you start to hear what your why is. That's so interesting. Does does the book Find Your Why, does it talk about or, or give kind of a, a plan for actually finding a good facilitator, what that person looks like? Yeah, several chapters of it. That's of, interesting. And, you, and if you don't have anyone, but you have the financial means, then you can actually hire Simon and his team to help you with this. Yes. And uh, you know how the universe does these unique things? Universe is weird, man. Two yeah. days before I was going, uh, I interviewed somebody who had actually gone through Simon's course. Wow. Done the Find Your Why. I had never even heard of that book, The Find Your Why. So I can't imagine it's, you know, tons and tons and tons of people have actually done it. Mm -hmm. And two days before I went, I met somebody. The conversation turned into this where I said, yeah, I'm going to Seattle. I'm going to do this weird book thing. And she's like, oh, what book? Simon Sinek, find your way. Oh my God, I did actually a, a leadership retreat where we did this. That is cool. I what? assume you hired her. I hope you hired her. No, no. Oh, bummer. That's okay. Universe is weird. Universe yeah. Is weird. You know, and it's, is it because you're listening that it came up? It, you know, are there more red cars on the road after you buy a red truck? Because you bought the red truck. Sure. Or is it you see them all. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Stop playing mind games on me. Stop playing mind games on me, Mike. I can't, you can't keep like lingering in here after these podcast episodes, man. No. Um, yeah, that sounds, that sounds incredibly powerful. I've, I've read, uh, start with why a couple of times. It's actually something I've struggled with though is, is okay. You know, start with why you can sit down, you can think kind of meditate on it, but I always find it really, really helpful. More of kind of step-by-step -step building block approach. I think it's why people like this podcast is, it, is I try to take it from theory to how do you actually do what the heck people are talking about? There's so much theory, you know, do this as a business owner, do that as a business owner, you know, make sure you you give back and then you all of a sudden magically have this really big company that everyone loves. How do you actually do that? Like, you know, get down to kind of brass tacks. So this find your why, I'm extremely excited to read that book. 
I hope that it has meaning for you. Uh, and if you do the exercise, it will be, it's always fun to talk about yourself. It'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have another podcast. You, you can come back later, later in the year and we can do like a flip, a flip interview. Be like, okay. right, how did, how did Mike Sutton change Brandon's life? With all of his bonus episodes. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, I love it, man. Okay. You want to circle back to number two? The one we the one we skipped, leapfrogged. Second yeah. one. Um they ask. Yeah. And honestly, you know, after implementing traction, well, there was a little bit of a gap in our business and there was a marketing hole. And I know people talk a lot about marketing and how do you do it well. Um, I hate I hate marketing, man. We'll just, we'll get this done and we'll just move on. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Um, marketing is difficult and uh, there's lots of books on marketing. I've read a ton of them, but I've only read one book on marketing where I said, wow, I need everyone in my company to read this and I want to start applying it today, which was uh, They Ask You Answer by Marcus Sheridan, which has everything to do with outbound marketing or excuse me, inbound marketing. It's trying to get your phone to ring rather than you calling them, trying to get them to call you. And it's about creating content and answering questions that people have. They ask, you answer. And um, it has been a foundation for how we've built our website since 2020. So we spent the last three and a half years dedicated to making sure that we were putting helpful answers to as many questions as we could on our website, in our content, for our clients, whether you work with us or not. It's a, a primary component to every one of our estimates. So that when we meet with a client, it's not necessarily about just winning the business, but it's about educating the client on what to expect when getting a professional house painting project completed, when hiring a painter, when choosing what product you're going to put on your house. What's the difference between all these Sherwin-Williams products and why do they matter? So it's focusing our energy from trying to get from our clients to what do we have to give to them, whether they work with us or not. Yeah, that's it's a super super powerful strategy. So one of the things we've we've started implementing with some of the companies we work with is actually Facebook group monitoring. So a lot of places obviously have these these local groups um, on Facebook that that kind of your neighbors, right, or neighborhood, and provide different referrals recommendations. And a, a really key sort of grassroots guerrilla marketing strategy for a lot of painting companies is to be in these groups, right? Be hearing what people are saying. And so when you you can actually set up your software, you can actually monitor. Or uh, certain words, right? Like painting, painting company, you know, recommended painter, things like that. And you can actually get alerted when this stuff comes up. And when it comes up, you can see oftentimes people are asking for, for referrals and, and references. And there's a whole strategy around that to actually drum up business for you. But another time people are, are just asking questions in general about painting, right? And you can also go on to, to Google. There's tools to actually figure out commonly searched questions, you know, and then you add FAQs to your website. So this whole, they ask you answer, what do people want to know? Uh, and then tuning in the internet is a absolute gold mine of information. And you can know exactly what questions I have, who to target, how to target them in ways that cost very little if you implement this. So that's super powerful. Wow. I didn't, um, in order, I have so many questions about a tool like that. <laughs> I, I, and I'm just listening to like, wait a second. This thing will monitor and listen to all the groups so that you don't have to pay 100% attention to all of them. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll uh, connect. I'm, I might share. It, it's something we're a little bit in beta in, but so far it's working really, really well. So yeah. I don't want to fully go into it, um, but I will tell you that so far the results are very good. So yeah, you, you can essentially, you, you can monitor for these keywords. I mean, there's all kinds of of software that you can layer on top of Facebook. You can you can add Google Chrome extensions on Google. The, the marketing world is extremely complex, uh, extremely technical, but there are a lot of, of um, almost unfair solutions that you can use if you know what you're doing. So so the, the other painting companies maybe 
trying to manually go in and scroll these groups and how many groups are there should you should be in a lot of right so you to, to actually have someone scrolling every day and then try to get back to them in a, a timely manner so becomes almost uh impossible it's really cumbersome but if you can yeah. use software to do some of this stuff for you and then you mm -hmm. can go in and almost uh almost covertly you can go in and essentially get recommended almost covertly in these groups yeah strategies like that are real fun to talk you know they're, they're real fun to implement yeah, that's very few painting companies know about that stuff. Uh-uh. Um, you know, in, in Facebook specifically, that engagement within those communities has been difficult. Yeah. Uh, we well, don't want to just come in and be like, oh, I'm a painting company, you know, hire me. Right. That's a huge turnoff. And you'll probably just get removed from the group anyways. Yeah. If you you spam it. Um, you know, like EOS and, and traction start with why. I followed them to a T. Every word that it said, I tried to implement. And, and do exactly like those books said. They ask you answer. There's a component of it that I, I have not been able to been able to fully implement out of fear. Uh, right. I, I feel like it's worth sharing that uh, Marcus he owned a pool company. That was his business. So he he went into homes and he built pools. He sold in ground pools to clients and. Uh, he shares this story about how his early on in his career, when he first started his pool company, he had something like a 15 to 20% closing ratio. So 15, one out of, you know, seven of the, his clients would say yes. And then I don't know the, the pool insulation industry very well, but that, that doesn't seem super high. No, but at the same they're, time, they're big ticket jobs though. You're selling a $50,000 pool. Yeah, they're big ticket. It's not a $5,000 paint job. Yeah. Uh, and he was working his tail off, doing as many estimates as he could, working 60, 70 hours a week, trying to get in front of clients and winning a small amount of them. Um, and then he developed his inbound marketing strategy and he put together an ebook. And this ebook was a requirement that every person had to read prior to him going out to give them an estimate. There's some 25 page book about all the questions that you should ask before you buy a pool. So it's a, it's a assignment based selling essentially. hundred percent. Establishing himself as the expert prior to showing up. Yep. And he said, after writing the book that when he forced somebody to consume the content prior to him giving them an estimate, his closing ratio went up to something like 85% by reading it. And he did one year where he didn't make it mandatory to read the book. And on the people who didn't read the book, he had something like a 7% closing ratio. And the people who did, it was somewhere up north of 80%. Well, obviously you hear that and you say, well, I don't have a ton of estimators. Our appointments are valuable. Maybe we make them complete an assignment before doing an appointment. Um, we have not implemented that component. Because uh, some of the people are not going to do it and you have to follow through. If you're making it mandatory, you have to remove them from your calendar. You can't say it's mandatory and it's not mandatory because now you're already establishing your company that, that you lack integrity, that you don't actually do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with, have you read uh, They Ask You Answer? I have, but it was, it was a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, it's interesting, you know, uh, I think the latest Google update, what was, is it called the friendly helper? Yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, there's EEAT now. There's a, there's a major algorithm update recently um, that added to that. Google's constantly updating. So their algorithm, I mean, updates hundreds of times a year, but then they have these major ones, right? And so if, if people listening, if you've seen a shift in your rankings, if you've seen them drop, go up, whatever, uh, a lot of it now is really related to that, to that helpful content uh, on your site. And what what was it called? The EEAT? EEAT. Yeah. So now it's it's very focused on uh, making sure that the content you're putting out is is relevant, right? So exactly what you're talking about that they ask you answer. Are you answering questions that people care about? Are you putting out content that's value add? What Google's always trying to do and what these these algorithm updates are often based around is adding value to their user base. Because that's how they that's how they make money. They make money on Google ads, 
right? How do they, they make money on Google ads? They make money on Google ads by people using Google as the premier search engine. It's just default in our head. I could find myself falling into it, thinking Google's like just permanent, just permanent. Oh, you use Google. You're always going to use Google. It's forever. But imagine if Google started delivering horrendous results. That's like the easiest way to think about it. Imagine, imagine if Google, uh, you're searching for a painting company and they're putting, you know, they're just showing you a bunch of plumbers. Eventually you're going to be like, yeah, Google sucks. Like it's just what totally, or they, they recommend these recommend, right? That's SEO yeah. kind of quote recommend uh, these yeah. painting companies because they're at the top of Google. And every time you, 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 you engage with one of these companies you're finding through Google, you have a horrendous result. Well, eventually you're going to be like, yeah, you know, Google is not very good. They, they don't. So their whole thing is they need to actually add value to their free user base, the free value, because the more and more eyeballs and usage they get, the higher prices they can sell the pay-per-click for, which is really where they're monitoring their, their search engine. It, as that update was described to me, I said, wow, Marcus wrote about this 10 years ago and said, yeah, you've been doing it. What you're supposed to do. Um, it's what we've outlined our website to be about. And then Google does a primary update that says we're going to yeah. 100% focus on relevant and useful content and websites that are providing that for their clients. Yeah, if you understand what how how Google makes money, if you understand what they are doing in the space, then you're already you're already ahead of the curve, and you are already, you know, essentially understanding that because Google's a business; they are a business, and so their their business is to add value so that people keep coming back to them so that they can then sell them ads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 there's a little more complexity to it, but that's. That, that's basically what it is. They're they're an ad selling search engine. They sell ads. Yeah. Um, when you meet with somebody on the marketing world, do you give them an assignment at all prior to meeting we, with you? So we we do. It's uh it's not a 25 page PDF. We actually have we use a software called Typeform. Yep. So typeform.com, you can set up, I think we have about 10 questions there. And then we have them have to fill that out prior to meeting with us, it's, it's labeled an assessment. Hey, take this assessment prior to meeting with us. We have some uh, pre-qualifying questions that have to make sense or else we're not, they're not even going to come on, on the calendar. So they get yeah. disqualified potentially if they're on the calendar, they then have to move forward with this shows us that they're serious. And it also lets us know uh, a lot more about their company, right? Cause we're, we're very partnership focused. We, we don't just pedal push products down people's throats. Um, so if they're not invested into us learning whether or not we're a fit and kind of what they need and actually crafting something for them, then we're not going to put them on the counter because it's just a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. Um, there's something magical in that assignment prior to the appointment. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a lot, but making sure that your homeowners have done something and putting some kind of barrier. Well, they're invested. They're, you have you have essentially, uh, it's a sunk cost, right? It might not be a financial one, but now it's a time one. So now they've invested into your company already. If they don't move forward, it can feel like a loss. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, that fear of loss, they're trying to prevent. Yeah. Uh, people respond <laughs> People respond to pain. People do. They don't want to feel like they wasted their time. Um, one of my good friends, he owns a distillery and they're going through a rebrand and uh he was meeting with the designer and there was this five, I also know the company who is uh, working on this redesign for him. And he was getting frustrated because they wouldn't let him meet with the designer. I go to my buddy and I say, hey man, he really wants to meet with the designer here. Uh, can you like streamline this? And he goes, look, there's a five question questionnaire that he needs to answer. He has not submitted the questionnaire to meet with the designer. Oh, okay. Um, so it's again, using that assignment, making sure that you've done the homework before sitting down and wasting someone's time. And as a, you know, when you own a painting company, every time that you meet with a client, you're making an investment in that client. You're taking an hour out of your day. You've, it's a big investment. Yeah. And, and if they, if you're meeting with that client and they block the time off, then you can't meet with another client. So making sure that each one of those appointments are the highest value that you can um, is it, valuable, it's meaningful, and it's what Marcus talks about in They Ask You Answer. Uh, it's making sure that you're getting the most out of every appointment you go to. Yep. Yeah, worst, worst scenario, 
worse than not having the lead is going out and having it be a bad lead. Cause now it's, it's a net negative. You've wasted, you've wasted your time. You've paid for it, a net negative. Um, all right. We do, man, I was worried we weren't, we weren't going to get through all this stuff or, or that we weren't going to fill up the hour. Uh, we are more than filling up the hour. So I want to get on to the fourth book. Yeah. I guess the fourth slash fifth. Cause I know we, we talked about um, the start with why and also find your why, but let's get into this last book. Yeah. So the great game of business by Jack stack. This is a new book for me personally. Uh, I was just introduced it uh, two months ago and I've listened to it uh, three times. I've wow. started to read it and I've given it to four people on our leadership team. Um, I've gotten the same degree of excitement that I got when I read Gino's book, Traction, for, wow, I need to implement and roll this out in every way possible. Um, the Great Game of Business is about open book management. It's about teaching people the financial literacy to run a business. It's teaching people, one, how to understand a profit and loss statement. Yep. What are you spending money on? What are you making as a business? Uh, and then two, teaching people about a balance sheet. What's an asset and what's a liability? How much money do you have as a business? How strong and how secure are you? Um, and this came uh, from a gentleman on uh, one of my men's groups that he uh, recommended it when I uh, had expressed some financial stresses that we were going through as a business. Uh, as a lot of people know, spending habits may have changed slightly towards yep. the end of last year when you start talking about a recession and when the stock market starts going down. And uh, that's when people just throw money at paint jobs. It doesn't even matter anymore. Uh, they, they, they often want to you know, buy the most expensive options at that point. That, that's what, yep. Price insensitive. Um, you know, in, in starting August, September last year, we could feel people not wanting to buy the same way they had been buying leading up to it. And uh, it impacted our business over the winter, uh, undeniably. And I had somebody recommend I read this book for my team uh, to really uh, start to understand uh, what we were doing as a company, why we were doing it, where we currently sat, and, and basically what Jack talks about in this bit, uh, in this book is that if people don't know the rules to the game, if they don't know the game, if they don't know the outcome of the game, they're not going to play it successfully. Um, and in order for people to know, you've got to teach them. In our business, we spend money on five things. Payroll, painters, materials. I give it to you. I'm going to take all of it, Michael. <laughs> in marketing, mm -hmm. then everything else is like very little. Yeah, some like software and stuff like yeah. that. You know, 90% of the business is gone or 90% of the money that you make is gone by paying four people. Payroll, subcontractors, materials, and marketing. That's almost the whole thing. Um, and starting to educate people on what that means and how important two percentage points means on a, you know, gross margin. You know, how what does one gallon of paint equal if you bought an extra gallon on that job? Well, a gallon of a $70, you know, $70 a gallon paint is one percentage point off a $7,000 job. What's one percentage point over the course of a year? incredible um and jack talks about opening up your books and sharing those with people on the team assigning people numbers giving ownership around the budgets uh and tying everyone's incentives back to the profitability of the business which is what i thought was so exciting um as a business owner, I think it's really easy for you to think that, oh, I have to give carrots for every single KPI imaginable. 
you know, uh, I look at these comp plans that I've written for a sales manager and you're like, whoa, I'm paying you off average job size, gross margin, uh, revenue booked. There was seven bonus opportunities for a sales manager. And maybe that was a little too complex. Maybe it should have just been, did the business make money? Then you made money. Yeah. Yeah, Jason Paris actually talks uh, a lot about this, which is pretty neat. When people come in and they say, "Hey, I, I want to raise, or I think I should get a raise," I says, "Great, we, you know, I, I'd love to make that happen for you." So let's sit down, let's run through the numbers, and let's figure out with this raise, you know, how are we going to keep the profit margin? How how are are you driving the value, and actually giving them a real way to do it? Right? Don't don't like be condescending or jerk about it, but like, how can we add the value here to actually make it make sense? Because I would really like to do that for you. And then what you're doing is you're basically, everyone can get as many raises as possible, right? If they can find the way to add the value, which oftentimes rock stars, they can't, but you, it, it kind of flips it. And it's not the the big mean boss. I like, no, you, you don't get a raise or the, the boss. Oh, he's so nice. He gave me a raise. Let's problem solve this thing together. Let's recognize that we're all on the same team. The, the goal is we need to hit this certain profit margin to have a healthy company and let's collaborate together on what we can do to get you that raise. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, extending the ownership of the business to the people that are, are working there. Yeah. And in order for that to make meaning, they have to understand their numbers. They have to understand it so well. Or you can say, okay, if you can increase the referral rate on your projects by 5%, meaning one out of 20 people gives you another referral, that makes the company X. You know, and everyone knows referrals close better. Way better. Yep. <laughs> they convert better. Should close them all day for healthy profit uh, margins. And they tend to be more profitable. Yep. Don't know why, but they do uh, because the client already has trust with you. So they're not fighting you every step of the way. So how do we get more referrals? How do you incentivize people to do that? Uh it's been uh, an exciting book for the last several months as we're starting to roll this out and restructure our bonus plans uh, completely from what Jack gives in his book. So that's uh, 100% where we're moving our compensation model to is to fit the great game of business. And I think there's something beautiful when you read two books. And this is something my wife worries about is, oh no, Michael, you just read this book. What's, what's everyone going to have to what's do? What's the fallout going to be? How you're going to make everyone go above and beyond and do these things. And I said, no, it actually pairs perfectly with what we're doing. And traction and the great game of business touch uh, perfectly with one another. And they fit together. It was kind of like a missing component. Uh, to traction was the compensation piece, which I was missing for my key members. Man, that's so good. Yeah, well, I read uh, I read The Great Game of Business about six years ago um, as a CFO because our, our the software company I was working for had hired a, a consultant to come in and had, had the whole leadership team read it. But <clears throat> I haven't thought about it in some time. Have, haven't implemented it for Painter Marketing Pro. So now now I'm going to reread it and, and probably pair it you know, with traction. It's uh, I found that they kind of like fit hand in hand there. And uh... You know, it's incredible when you find those pieces and they just show up and you're like, well, that's what I was missing. It makes sense right now. So yeah. hopefully there's some value uh, within those books and it can make an impact on somebody's business the same way it did ours. For sure, man. So that's, yeah, we just spent over an hour talking about four books, super in-depth, uh, meaningful books. Um, man, thanks for sharing all that. I, I definitely, when we first talked about this episode, I really did think it was going to go a different direction. But I, I much prefer the direction that it went, you know, I, and not just, hey, read these 30 books and feel good about yourself. Not to be little reading. It's important. It's a great step, but also make sure you pick some Bibles of business. As you say, make sure you pick some that are really, really going to move the needle and lean yeah. into those books and actually actually act on those books. Mm -hmm. Michael, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up this second episode? You know, um, feels very much like what we were talking about yesterday or last week mm -hmm. just 
recognizing that other people have already figured this out. Yep. And trying to pay attention to those people. So, um, and, and the, the four authors that we talked about are pretty special people who have figured it out. So, yep. yeah, I give you a hard time for being arrogant because you're the opposite of that. So the, uh, you know, every, you have this, this ultra successful painting company, your goal, I think it's, I think you said it's 14 million this year, you know, for, for a lot of people, that's, these are kind of mind blowing numbers and almost every single thing you're saying is, oh, well, the board recommended this. Oh, well, this person recommended this. Oh, I heard it from the, it's never like, oh, I'm so smart that I just came up with all these ideas. Everything you're saying essentially is something you learned or your network showed you, or you're leaning on that, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. Right, as the saying goes, you're you're learning from people who have come before you and and who are farther ahead than you are. Yeah, yeah. And well just said. people who who in in the professional network maybe aren't even farther ahead than you are, but they still have value to share, and they're coming from different industries, and they're making you see things differently. So that that collaboration. Yeah. Mike, thank you, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This was an amazing episode. I cannot wait for uh, the next one. I think it it sounds like the next one we are going to be diving into employees. So that'll pair pretty well. It's, I think we set this thing up pretty well, man. I, I like the, the, uh, the series, the way that the series is flowing. Now, uh, hopefully it wraps up well. I'm, I'm sure it will. Yeah. We're not going to let it, we're not going to let episode five be too much of a downer. I know we're going to get into some of the hardships of the business, but we're going to, we're going to also get into solving those and kicking butt. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Brandon, always a pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.